0: You know, as the under-shepherd of Christ here, I know that it's the Holy Spirit who guides me, And, and it's to serve God, not myself. It's to do everything unto our Lord. I started preaching sometime around 1973 after I had a personal encounter with Christ, and in 1976, a religious leader, a Monsignor of a church, a, a priest, choked me because I was sitting on the church steps reading to some other kids out of the Bible. And that's when I started running from God. I started serving me. I started serving myself. If it served me, then it was good. If it didn't serve me, then it wasn't. Okay, so I know the difference between, even at a young age, between serving God and serving self. And I must always, I implore everybody to learn the difference, okay, because the enemy is very subtle. And even in modern-day Christianity, we have those who are serving self and pretending or believing even that they're serving God. We may not be among them. We're not to be among them. My mic sounds a little loud to me. i have to turn it down. Excuse me. I don't know why that is. I thought I had it straightened out this morning. Now, you didn't hear anything from me because I didn't speak. Okay, that's a little better. I don't want to blast you out of here, folks, okay? I, can, I have a loud enough mouth I can speak without a mic, but I use the mic so that we can record, hopefully in there and in here. So, in knowing the difference between serving God and serving self, whenever there's even a hint of selfishness or self-service, the Holy Spirit checks my spirit. It's like... He gives me this imprompting that, look, you're getting off base here. It's too much about you. It's too much about everybody but God, and we may not go there. And he helps me to realize that, and I cannot describe it any better than that, and I'm sorry that I can't, except I know that it's his prompting. I know the voice of God because I've been speaking, talking interacting with God from a very young age. And I'm not saying God speaks out of heaven and I hear His voice. I'm saying He impresses upon me His presence in, in uh, a very, very definite terms. It's no mistake to me when I'm hearing from God. In, in the early years of my walk with Christ, I learned a lot of spiritual songs and many hymns and even contemporary songs at that time in the 70s when the, the so-called Jesus movement was really happening, okay, um, there was a, a lot of music, and, and the, the modern gospel music became more of a contemporary-type music. It wasn't exactly gospel. And there were songs that were all about God still. There, was, there were songs that were all about the gospel, but then there were also songs that were less about the gospel and more about those who were singing. And at the time, it didn't really appeal to me, but I didn't see any harm in it. You know, if we're singing about the love of God, but we don't say God's name, for example. But in later years, I became very perplexed by how the church had become so self-centric, and we were singing more about self than we were about God. And this has been for many years. This isn't a new development, but as we've developed our music team here, and those who are on the team will tell you, Pastor John has been a vocal advocate for turning the music against us and toward God. And it's been, in some ways, resisted at times. And I say, well, you know, not by the folks that are here, but by others who thought that what I was doing was wrong. And, and I have to clarify for all of you, if you hear a change in the song, it's because we made that change deliberately. It's not an accident if we say Christ instead of He. It's not an accident if we say God instead of Him. We are doing this intentionally because we want to focus all of your attention, along with ours, on our Creator and on our Savior and on His Holy Spirit who is reigning in this congregation and using all of us to God's glory. The Scriptures instruct us We find in Ephesians chapter 5 to be filled with the Spirit, singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is an instruction for everybody who follows Christ. We're to sing. We're to sing hymns, psalms, spiritual songs, and we're to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. To the Lord. Amen. To the Lord. Not to ourselves. And there's so much of what passes as Christian music today that sings about self to self, and in the idea that we're actually singing to God. And all you have to do is listen, just listen with an open mind to the lyrics, and you will hear what I'm talking about. If you listen to uh, some of these um, Christian radio stations, and I don't want to bash them, but when I listen, I can only listen for so long because I keep hearing about us, about us, about us. It's like some of the prosperity preachers that preach you, 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 over and over and over in their sermons. They're saying how God wants to take care of you. It's all about you. It's you. It's you. It's you. you. And in fact, it is not. God so so loved the world. It's the whole world, with or without you. You happen to be part of the world. And we've turned the gospel to become self-centric instead of God-focused. We're looking at ourselves. And we need to turn our attention away from ourselves. God's Word makes it clear. Yes, we are to sing. And, you know, as we do, we're instructed to sing unto the Lord a new song. Now, I'm not against the hymns. Anybody who knows, you've got hymnals in your, in your seats there. I love the old hymns, many of them, not all of them, because even then, in the, in the 1800s or 1700s, when these hymns were being written... Some of them are self-centric. They sing about us instead of about God. And I know that there's a fine line between being selfish in our singing and being God-centric, centered on God. In Psalm 33, in verse 3, this is what we hear. Sing unto Him a new song. And so new songs aren't bad. There's nothing inherently wrong with having something new as long as the focus is properly placed on God and about God. And in Psalm 40, in verse 3, it's written, And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Who put the song in his mouth? God did. God put a new song in his mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust In the Lord. So, part of what we're doing when we're singing praise unto God is we are drawing people into His presence. And we know that God inhabits the praises of His people. And when we sing praises to God, do you think that He doesn't inhabit those praises that we're singing? Of course He does. Sing unto Him a new song. And here in in Psalm 144 and verse 9, it is written, I will sing a new song unto Thee, O God upon a psaltery, in an instrument of ten strings, will I praise or sing praises unto Thee. So the praises aren't just our voices, it's also in the instruments. There are those who say we don't want to use instruments because it takes away from the singing. I'm all for Let's let the vocals be heard. I'm all for that. In fact, we had a discussion about that the other night, a couple, night, a couple weeks ago. We want to hear the vocals. We want to hear the praises to God. But we're also given in the Word... That'd be fine, Cade. When you get old enough, I'll teach you how. Where was I? Praise the Lord. Amen, a new song. The instruments are a part of music. They're a part of praise. So there's nothing wrong with us having instrumentation accompanying the singing. Okay? Because there are those who would argue that there is, and that's why I have to show what God's Word says about it. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and sing His praise in the congregation of saints. We are a congregation of saints, according to God's Word. Now, Whatever we sing must be to God and about God. And I know I'm belaboring this point, but it's very important that we get this, okay, folks, because as we go forward as a congregation, as we go forward as Christ's family that meets in this building, as we go forward, we are going to be doing what God's Word says to do. And sometimes that's going to mean altering a few lyrics or a few words in a song. And if you listen to some of the music that we do and you've heard it other places at other times, we hope that you have, you'll notice that we've changed some of the words. We also know that God's Word instructs joyous singing, as I told the children. And I want you to consider what's written in the following passages. In Psalm 35, verse 9, it's written, My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. We rejoice in the salvation that God has made for us. We rejoice. Joyful singing is a part of that. In Psalm 63, in verse 5, part of what's written there is, My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. You see, so much of what passes as Christian worship music today is this melodious thing that kind of draws us into almost hypnotism. It's, it's almost seductive. And we need to be careful about that, folks. I'm not saying that it's not okay to have soft playing music. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to understand if it's about God, to God, all right, we can go there. But if it's about us or anything else, then we need not to. We need to avoid any appearance of evil. Seduction is evil, okay? It's a distraction from God. We're not to go there as a congregation. And this is very important. The Lord has shown me for this year very clearly in His Word that we are to be singing about Him and to Him. And I'll keep repeating that throughout this sermon. I hope you don't get tired of hearing it, because I want to drive the point home. We are to be joyous in our singing. It's written in Psalm. 66, verses 1 through 3. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of your own name. No, 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 no. What's it say there? Is it up there? His name, right? Make His praise glorious. Sing forth His name. The honor of His name. His praise. Not ours. Say unto God, how terrible art thou works. In thy works, through the greatness of thy power, shall thy enemies submit themselves unto thee. And that's part of what happens when we're singing praises unto God. It is actually spiritual warfare. God's enemies will submit to Him, or they'll get out of the presence of the praises. We've seen that happen from time to time. There are many more passages that instruct God's people to sing joyously unto Him. The prophet Isaiah even has something to say about it. In Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, it is written, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Are we supposed to be sleepy-eyed in the house of prayer? Are we supposed to be lulled into some state of, uh, of uh, hypnotism in God's house of prayer? No. No. God says He's going to make us joyful. And in Isaiah 61, in verse 10, it is written, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, God has blessed us, and we can be joyful for that. Singing joy unto him, joyously singing unto him. We're not at liberty to select a worship form that appeals only to us. We don't like singing the way God wants us to sing, then we don't have an option but to sing the way God wants us to sing. The church is called to avoid being entertainment-oriented. That's true. Instead, we're to do what pleases God. Sadly, some claim that joyful singing to God is entertainment. They don't see it as worship. And that is sad. It really is because His Word makes it clear. He wants us to be joyful in our proclamation of praises. There's some that would have us use repetitive, melodious songs that lower our resistance to being enchanted or hypnotized even. And we see that in some of the bigger churches, folks. We see it. It's very clear. And we have to avoid that. We must be on guard against the subtleties of the enemy. Christian or gospel music used to be all about God. used to be all about Christ. used to be all about Jesus or the Holy Spirit and clear biblical teaching. If you open one of those hymnals to any hymn, you should find a scripture reference on just about every hymn in that book. it was about the biblical teaching found in God's Word, not about what some guy dreamt up that it was going to be about us or about them. But you know that all changed, and I mentioned this last week, but I've got an exact quote that I'm going to read to you, and Tony will put it up on the screen. It all changed when the Christian music award standards relaxed. Gospel Music Association, also known as GMA, because they hide that word gospel, Dove Award eligibility, says that the purposes For the purposes of this award, the content of all entries will be based upon the historically orthodox Christian faith contained in or derived from the Holy Bible. That sounds great, right? It could be about the faith. But then we get to this little or. Or, apparently prompted and informed by a Christian worldview. So it's either about the Bible, or it's about this Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, folks? Somebody help me. It's like this this obscure Christian worldview that could be based on the Bible somehow, some way. I saw a movie one time. It was called The Last Brickmaker, I believe. My wife can tell you if you really want to know. It's a great little movie to watch. It talks about how they took the true biblical teachings and distilled them down to just principles, and they shared those principles, and then nobody knew the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible was no more mentioned. You see, and that's what they're doing with music. And I have to ask you, did you notice what is missing from that definition of what is required to be considered for a Dove Award? God. God. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of Christ. There's no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of Yahshua, There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. It's about some hidden concepts maybe from the Bible now. Because when they put that or in there, they changed the gospel music to something other than gospel. And I would dare you, I would beg you, When you listen to anything that's called Christian music, I want you to find the gospel in that song. And if it's not there, stop listening to it. Stop listening to it. And if everybody who calls themselves a faithful follower of Christ would do that, the music would change. The problem is we're just lapping it up. And they keep pumping it out. We've got to be careful, folks. In these last days, we must be careful not to turn our back on God for the sake of music that sounds like it might be Christian. God have mercy. I'm not against repetition. Some of you listen to my sermons and say, Pastor said that three times in his sermon. And God does this too in His Word. He repeats things over and over, sometimes multiple times because He wants to drive the point home. But when we're singing about ourselves, when we're singing about anything but God, and we're going over and over and over and over, what are we doing? We're hypnotizing ourselves about ourselves. It's written in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, we are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. There's no more physical sacrifices. What are the sacrifices? Well, God's Word makes it clear. In fact, I'll give you one example. It says, Let us continually, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, let us, therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to, go- to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name, not our name, not us. It's not about us, it's about him. That's one. Another is our lives are to be given in service to God because that is our reasonable sacrifice. It is written in God's word. It's written in, uh, oh, excuse me. I read that first Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You know, I take this seriously, folks, and I hope that each of you do too. I hope that if you have a love of what's called modern Christian music, that you don't get angry with me and stop attending services here because I'm beating up the music that you like. You've got to listen to it, though. You must. If you're going to listen to it, don't just let it play. Actually, look at it, examine it for what it is. We need to do this because there's a spirit behind certain music. And that spirit is not God's spirit. And we must be careful, folks. There are spirits that are trying to rule in the body of Christ, and I'm not willing to allow them in this place. I'm not willing to allow them to influence this body of believers because I'm called as an under-shepherd of Christ to serve God Almighty to His glory, not to my own and not to any of yours. And I'm sorry if that breaks your heart, but it's not about you. It's all about Him. We have to remain diligent, lest the serpent who tricked Eve would also deceive us. He's very subtle. There's this this line that keeps getting moved. It's moved further away from God and closer to everything but, even in Christian music or what's called Christian music, and some of it I hesitate to even call Christian music. When I listen to the radio and I listen to some of these songs... If I don't know that it's supposed to be a Christian song, I might turn to my wife and I'll say, what kind of music is this? Wait, is, this a, is this song singing to God? Like, I get this question mark, and when the question mark comes to my mind, I say, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. There shouldn't be a question mark. There should not be a question mark. When we are singing, it shouldn't be, who am I singing to? Who am I singing about? I listen to some secular music, and I say, you know what, this could be on the Christian station. Doesn't mention God, doesn't mention Christ, doesn't mention Jesus, doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. Talks about you and him and they and all these other words that have nothing to do with God, but you could take it out of the, say, the country music station, plug it into the Christian music station, and it would fit right in. It wouldn't stand out. Nobody would know the difference they hadn't heard it on the country music station first, they'd think it was a Christian song, because it matches right up. It's got all the elements. And that concerns me, because we're turning the body of Christ's attention away from the God who created us. Remember, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and this was nearly... 2,000 years ago or maybe more than 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? What's the truth? Where do we find it? Is the truth found in this book, the one we call the Bible? Absolutely. And if it doesn't fit into what's in there then how can we call it anything but what it actually is? It's not of God. False teachers and false prophets found their way into the church early on, folks. This isn't a new thing. And that's what we're seeing, okay? I was telling somebody yesterday, you know, I could prophesy that it's going to snow. It's going to snow. I'm absolutely certain. It is going to snow. And we could sing a song about it, it's going to snow. Sooner or later, my prophecy is gonna come true. It's gonna snow. All right. But if I say at twelve oh one p.m. it's going to snow, and it doesn't snow at twelve oh one p.m., what does that make me? Anybody? A false prophet. I may not say something, generally speaking, wait a minute, we have these guys and and gals that are called, what, uh, weather forecasters? They get paid even when they're wrong. And we've taken that, and we've incorporated it into the church. After all, they're just human. Nobody gets it right all the time, right? That's what's wrong, because the prophets of Almighty God never got it wrong. And if we're going to be singing about God, we make sure that what we're singing is actually about God, because otherwise we're getting it wrong, folks, and that's not okay with Him. Hear what's written in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. No, excuse me. Now, we could read that again. All right, Lord, (laughs) even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. As we go through our time of of praise and worship with music, uh, are we to be sullen? Are we to be beat down? Or are we supposed to be joyous? Joyful. Joyful. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, you know that there um, were even sorcerers who were false prophets in the New Testament period sorcerers who were false prophets, and they had to be resisted. I want you to consider what's written in the 13th chapter of Acts. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul. Now let's pause there for a moment, okay? They're going through this area, and they find this sorcerer, this false prophet, and he was with the deputy of the country. In other words, he's with one of the leaders of the country, maybe like a county commissioner or something for us, okay? And Sergius Paulus, this man, he was called a prudent man, And he called for Barnabas and Saul, and he desired to hear the Word of God. How many of you are here today because you don't want to hear the Word of God? Anybody? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands. Everybody's here to hear the Word of God, to receive the Word of God, what is in writing and whatever God gives me to speak on His Word, okay? That's what you're here for. You want to receive the Word of God now. He wanted to receive the Word of God. He desired to hear the Word of God, but this sorcerer, Elimas—for that's his name interpreted, withstood them. Withstood them. Right, they're bringing the Word of God. Barnabas and Saul were bringing the Word of God because this guy wanted to hear the Word of God, but this sorcerer got in the way. He was blocking the Word of God. All right? And they were seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Do you see the subtleness there? They got in between those who were to present the word and those who were to receive it because they sought to turn them away from the faith. It's a very subtle thing there, okay? Because this guy was a prophet. And then Saul who's also called Paul, and this is the first time we hear Paul being called Paul. His Jewish name was Saul. Now, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. He set his eyes on him, and he said, "'Oh, full of all subtlety.'" Now, who's he referring to there? The devil. "'Oh, you,' you could add there, "'oh, you, full of all subtlety and all mischief, "'thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, "'wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord?' Do you imagine if I preached that in this building? If I called somebody out and said, "You, you devil, you're filled with the mischief of the devil," wouldn't go over well. I tell you that. And then, okay, that wasn't very nice of Paul, was it? Probably hurt that guy's feelings. Might have even made him cry. And now, Paul goes on, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, thee, and thou shalt be blind. Paul called for this guy to be blinded? For, for getting in between them and those who were to receive the word of God? Paul called for calamity to fall on this man? Do you see how serious it is? Do you see how serious it is? God cares. It's not a light thing to get in between those who are professing the Word of God and those who are to receive it. And he says, Thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believing, he believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You see how important it is to be on the right side of what God wants for His people? Do you see why I take it so seriously? I hope you do. I hope I'm getting through to you, folks, because I may not allow anyone to get between the Word of God and you. I'm not permitted to do that. I'm not permitted to allow that to happen. I can't. And sometimes I might seem like a tyrant because I'm saying, here's the parameters, we're going to stay within them. But I must because that road that we're on, the path that we're on, is a narrow one. That's what the Lord says. That's not me. I'm not saying I'm trying to narrow things down. I'm saying His Word narrows it down, and we need to be people of His way. Now, let's take a look at Paul's letters to Timothy, at least some passages out of there. These are called the Pastoral Epistles 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, These called the Pastoral Epistles. These give great doctrine, teaching for pastors who are leading flocks. They were written to this guy, it was a young guy named Timothy. And uh, Paul had to tell him, look, don't worry about how they, the, what they do. Don't worry about what they say. Stay true to the Word. My paraphrase of a lot of passages. But here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it is written, now the Spirit, what Spirit? The Holy Spirit, okay. We make sure we're talking about the right Spirit now. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what's it say there? Seducing spirits. We must be on guard against seducing spirits. Seduction in any form is not of God. God may call you. He may lead you. but God's not going to seduce you. There's a difference, and that's that subtleness of the enemy. We're seduced out of the will of God whenever we turn our hearts from God and onto ourselves, especially when we're supposed to be praising Him. It's also written, not only would they give heed to seducing spirits, but doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. You've seen a lot of people that have made proclamations and prophecies and unfortunately, many of them haven't come true. There were people that really had their hearts set on these prophecies coming true. They haven't. They haven't come true. And then they kind of pushed the goalpost back a little bit. Well, it's it's not going to be in November. It's going to be in January. And then when it didn't happen in January, they said, well, it's not going to be in January. It's going to be in March. And if it doesn't happen in March, it's going to be in April. God's Word Makes it clear that we can't speak lies under any circumstances. If we say, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord said, God told me, and it's untrue, we are a false prophet. Period. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what God's Word says. And God's Word makes that clear. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look more closely at this, okay? Because it's really important in these days because what we have in God's Word is a warning that this is going to happen. And we must guard ourselves against it, folks. We must. Because there will be those who come into the body of Christ who will, in fact, proclaim things falsely and lead others astray. And we have to be careful. I'm not calling anybody out on being a false prophet at this point in time. If the prophecies that they have made are not true, and I'll look right into the camera and I'll tell them if they're watching, if those prophecies do not come true, I will call for them to stand publicly and proclaim that they're false prophets. I will do that. Because God's Word tells me, as His servant here, when those proclaim things in this building to these people that He has put under me as the shepherd, I must guard them against the wolves, the bears, the lions, and whomever else comes into this place. Now, most of you who know me know that I'm, I i do everything in my power to be as gentle and kind and as forgiving, compassionate, loving. I've been... Con- I've been called too compassionate. I've been called too loving, too all these things. Right to my face, in fact, in front of some of the people in this congregation. And most of you know that I'm not easily upset. But whenever somebody comes into the flock and starts to mess with the flock, I get really, really upset. Okay? And that little kidding around about the sermonator... I really do become the sermonator, okay? I will bring the Word of God to bear upon their lives, and I will point out their error to them because I don't want anybody messing with the flock that God has put into my care. I will stand for the Word of Almighty God. I will proclaim the Word of Almighty God. I will teach the Word of Almighty God. I will share the Word of Almighty God. And whenever somebody doesn't line up with the Word of Almighty God, I will point it out to them. I must. It's part of my role as the pastor here. I'm going to go back to calm mode. (laughs) But I'm telling you, folks, okay, I was raised under really rough circumstances during that period of time from 76 to about 1990 or so, 98 probably, yeah. So it was a little more than 20 years. I was, I was in the world and of the world. And so when it came to surviving, I learned how. And I'm not going to go into all of that. I just want you to understand. When somebody starts messing with people that I love, I know what to do. Now, in the spiritual realm, that's a little different. <laughs> I'm not going to pull somebody's feet off from under them and knock them on their back and knock the wind out of them. But I am going to stand upon the Word of Almighty God, and I'm going to call them out. Because I am the pastor here, and all of you are under my authority, and if I lay out some guidelines for order in this congregation, and and you refuse to abide by those guidelines, then I've got to call you on it. I have to. I must. I'm required to. It's part of my role as the pastor, as the under-shepherd of Christ. It's listed here in God's Word's written that their conscience is seared with a hot iron. So they're not even going to hear me. But when we resist the devil, what happens? He flees. That's what the Lord says. So we resist. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is written, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. I read this passage last week also. I reviewed my message from last week, this morning. I want to make sure that I'm not being too redundant, but I've got to put these ideas forth. You need to comprehend where we are as a body. People will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, 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 You know how prideful some people get whenever they are anointed by God? They can't, and as our friend, Bill and I, uh, well, Bill is more Bill's friend, Leonard Ravenhill, not Leonard, David. David Ravenhill wrote a book, and it's called Surviving the Anointing. I was blessed to receive a copy of it. I don't know where it's at. I want to look in that book because we're going to look at what it means to survive the anointing. When you're anointed by God for service, some people buckle under the pressure of that anointing. They don't get it. It's called full and total submission to God. You think of David whenever he put Saul's armor on and it was too big and it was too heavy and he stumbled around, he had to take it off so he could fight. Sometimes the anointing of God is too heavy for people. They just can't survive it. It says, they'll be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. That's a very polite word there, incontinent. We might think of uh, folks that have to use, like, um, you know, adult uh, diapers or whatever, but that's not exactly what it means. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And it gives us a warning here, from such, embrace. No, 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 no. What's it say? From such, turn away. You mean we can't embrace them and welcome them? and, and No. Turn away. What is perilous? Perilous is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. It's difficult. It's fierce. Oh, can anybody argue that we're not in fierce times right now? Dangerous times? Now, again, I know that we touched on this last week, but we need to finish it out. Remember the first warning was that the people shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves shall be Shall doesn't say might, doesn't say could, doesn't say they m- maybe will be, it says they shall be, and that word shall is a very definite word. There's no way around it, there's no way under it or over it or beside it. Shall means it's an absolute fact. People will, without question, be lovers of themselves. Now, do you think for a moment that any of us are excluded from the possibility of becoming in part of that group who, will, who shall be lovers of their selves? We're not excluded, folks. It doesn't say except if you say a little prayer and come to Jesus. It doesn't say unless you work the, the, the whatever it is, the religious uh, dogma that's put out there. It doesn't say if you attend services every week. It doesn't say if you pray or you read your Bible that you shall not. But we know those are tools that we can use to help us to resist the devil. Attending services and and fellowshipping together is one way that we're strengthened as a body. And when we go into God's Word, we are given His words. No matter what anybody else's words are, it doesn't matter what they say, what matters is what God says. People will absolutely be lovers of their own selves. And God's word defines what it means to be lovers of self, but it gives it to us in the reverse. Here, what's written in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, where our Lord Jesus, Yahshua, he said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him be a lover of his own self. No, let him deny himself. Deny. Take up his cross and follow me. And another passage tells us daily. This is an everyday practice. We are to deny ourselves and pick up that instrument of death. We die to self. He paid the price. We follow him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's written, among other things, it tells us love seeks not her own, is not easily provoked thinks no evil. Love doesn't think of self, true love, embodiment of love. God's Word tells us we love Him supremely, and we love others as ourselves. We don't seek our own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it is written, "...for the love of Christ constrains us." Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. It's not about us. See, and when I say that, people say, well, how do you back that up with Scripture, Pastor? Right there. Okay? Okay? It's not about us. It's about living for Him. It's about, and when we're talking about singing, okay, because in the context of singing, it's about singing about Him. It's about singing unto Him. It's not about singing about us. It's not about singing unto ourselves. In Romans chapter 15, it is written, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. In other words, if something gets in the way of somebody being a follower of Christ, we need to remove it. Think about the time when the Lord said that there are those who are weaker brothers who can't eat meat. They won't eat meat. And he said, for their sake, don't eat meat in front of them. It's okay for you to eat meat, just not in front of them, because you don't want to cause them to stumble. Now, when it comes to music, if there are weaker brothers and sisters who can't stand singing about God or to God, that's where I draw the line. It's not going to change my opinion, okay? There's nobody can tell me, well, you've got to think about the weaker brothers and sisters who are out there who, you know, are just not accustomed to singing about God. Um, I'm sorry to hear that, but we're going to sing about God. This is a house of worship. This is a house where we worship Almighty God, our Creator. Okay? Not to please ourselves. Paul said that he didn't have anybody other than Timothy to send to Philippi because everyone else was selfish. We find that in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 21. He says, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. These were believers, presumably. They were people that had a relationship. They were people that Paul would have sent to Timothy if they weren't seeking their own. If they hadn't been selfish. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we hear this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's the word of truth? What's written in the Bible? It's God's Word, all right? But shun profane and vain babblings. We have people who vainly babble on and on and on. Babble, 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 babble. I hear it in the pulpits, I hear it in praise and worship teams, I hear it on the streets. Preachers, get in the pulpit and start telling jokes, warm you all up, you know, you got to make you feel good. No, God's Word says don't do that. In fact, there's passages that specifically say don't be jesting when you're proclaiming the Word. Study to show yourself approved. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. More ungodliness. Now, if somebody, I'm not going to pick on anybody on our team, but if somebody on our team starts babbling vainly, I'm going to have to put a stop to it. Nobody, thankfully, today was doing that. I might have said, hold hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. I don't want to do that, but I have to because God's Word makes it clear it's not to be done in the house of worship, or anywhere for that matter. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, we hear this, "...and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves." If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, I've seen street evangelists get up on milk crates and they're t- calling people hell-bound sinners and yelling at them, and I'm saying, that's not what God's word says to do. You show them the word. They may reject it, but you show it to them, but you don't hit them in the head with it. If ever you feel that I've done that, I, I apologize, you bring it to my attention. And we'll look at what the Word says, that God would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. And we're trying to draw people out of that trap that the enemy lays even within the body of Christ, because who's Paul writing to there? Who's he writing to? To the believers. That's right. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor. And he's telling Timothy, be gentle, be apt to teach, be patient in meekness, which meekness is not weakness, by the way, it is constrained strength. Instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them strength, Repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. These passages apply just as much today as they did then. Now, when Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy may have been preaching to some unbelievers too, and so they would have been included in the "get them out of the snare of the devil." But that doesn't exclude believers who get themselves caught. And I. As it's written, keep that which is committed to my trust. I avoid profane and vain babblings. You don't often hear me say anything that's funny. It's not that I don't want to be funny. You know, I don't mind hearing you all laugh. But I'm not up here to tell jokes, okay? To me, this is very serious. And I'm not legalistic, as I've been accused from time to time. And there are those who accuse me of worshiping the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. I hope that you all will, too. I avoid the vain and profane babblings which some professing have erred concerning the faith. As God's servant here, I am compelled to teach and preach His truth, His Word, and I flee anything ungodly, even in what passes as Christian music, and all of us must. As the pastor here, I'm charged to guard and protect and uphold the truth through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. That's part of my charge. That's part of what my duty is. Even if I'm a volunteer, which I want to thank all of you for your gifts. It really does help. My wife and I keeps us going, and we're blessed by all of you. I follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, as it's written in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. That's my goal. Do I slip sometimes? Yeah, I do. I, I've erred from time to time. I haven't always been as patient as maybe I could have been. Sometimes I just get fed up with the wolves and I snap. But when you're going after bloodthirsty wolves, sometimes you have to. In John chapter 5, it is written, I can of mine own self do nothing. This is our Lord speaking. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. This is Christ speaking of the Holy Spirit, witnessing of His truth as the Savior. I can't do anything on my own either. Very often before I preach, I will pray, God, you take over because I can't do this. I need you. As his servant, I I must teach and preach his word. You know, Cain shows us that God rejects worship that he doesn't like in Genesis chapter 4. God wasn't happy. He was happy with Abel's sacrifice, but he wasn't happy with Cain's. And Cain turned around and killed his brother. In vain, it's written in Matthew chapter 15, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And there are so many in the body of Christ today that have their own commandments, their own rules, their own doctrines, their own teachings, and they say, this is the truth. And I compare it to this, and whenever I see something that doesn't line up, I say, well, how do you line that up with what is written here? and I've had people tell me, and you've probably heard me say it before, oh, that's a problem passage. I said, no, the passage isn't the problem, it's your doctrine. And we all need to be that way, folks. We need to stand upon the Word of God and say, no, you got it wrong there because God's Word says. And sometimes we really have to study His Word to know what it says because one passage can be taken out of context, and we could say, well, that passage says... We don't have anything to back it up with, but when we learn what His Word says, we can back it up. I'm going to move it along here. God doesn't accept vain worship, nor does He accept self-will as worship. We need to preach what He wants and what He wills. God's a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 and verse 24, this is our Lord's words Himself. But Him, therefore, let us offer, excuse me, by Him, let us, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We're getting back to the very point of the message, okay, how we sing, what we sing. God wants in truth worship, not anything phony. He doesn't want us to pretend that we're worshiping Him if, in fact, we're not. And that's where the subtlety of the enemy comes in, because the enemy leads us into worshiping ourselves instead of God. We need to go according to His Word. In John seventeen seventeen, we hear our Lord said this, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We have no authority to put words in God's mouth. Nor do we have authority to take words out of God's mouth. If God has written it, it is so. We can't just dismiss it because it doesn't agree with something that we've come up with. And there's too many in the body of Christ to do that today. We can't ignore the words from His mouth. Christ our Lord said, He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. That's when the devil said, Well turn those rocks into bread. You're hungry. Make some. I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. It's written in Revelation chapter 22. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book." And if anyone shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Don't take away from the word of God. Now, it's always, maybe not always, largely been understood that this refers to the book of Revelation, but it also refers to the whole of God's word. Don't take away from what God says. Don't try to trick people into believing that somehow your doctrine is better than what God has written. Loving God supremely means acquiescing to His will. Not everyone that says to me, this is our Lord again, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. And His will for us is to worship, to praise joyously. To sing a new song unto Him joyously, and it must be the truth of God's Word that we're singing. It must be focused on Him. It must be about Him. It must be to Him. One of the spiritual songs that we're considering for our time of worship and music, we practiced it about three weeks or so ago. We haven't gotten back to it yet, but I believe we will. At least I hope we will. It has a powerful example of God-honoring lyrics. The song opens with the word God. Can you believe it? It's a Christian song, and it actually sings about God. How dare they? It's not needed. After all, to get an award, you don't have to say God. But this one does. God, I'm on my knees again. God, I'm begging please again. I need you. I need you. Not me. Not anybody else. I need you. That is worship in song. We're singing about God to God. As I wrap this up, I want each of you to remember the point of our time here as we worship Almighty God. The point is to worship Him. We worship in many ways. And and there's sometimes when we have a liturgical worship service, when we go point by point on different things, a call to worship when we actually begin our worship, we call ourselves to worship God. We worship with music, but not just music. There are some in the body of Christ that call uh, music worship, as if that's the only aspect that we have of worship, but that's not what God's Word shows. And we'll look into that as we proceed sometime in the future. God wants joyous singer singing. He wants new music that honors Him. We're not just to stick to some old songs that were written a thousand years ago, although there are some good ones, and I've heard some of them. You look at the Psalms. The Psalms were songs that were sung to God. Read them. Read them as a, an act of worship to Him. And we can't place anyone or, or ourselves above God when we sing. We have to keep our focus on Him. Remember, I want you to remember this as you go forward today. Hear what's written in Nehemiah chapter 8. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. In other words, enjoy the good things of life. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, if they don't have it, don't just take it all for yourself. Give some away. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. For why? The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's what, if you don't take anything else out of this message, I want you to remember that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we'll be closing with a song. We'll receive an offering if you all don't mind. And I want you to praise the Lord joyously as we go forward into the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have gathered us here to worship You and You alone. But God, sometimes we change things up a little bit in the way that we do it, and the elements change, Lord, but our act of worship is still the same. It is all about You. Help us, Lord, as we bring music to bear in this building, as we have accompaniment for that music, help us to do it all to Your glory, that it would be all about You, Father, not about us. I pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.